When I was uh, in college, uh, worked midnights at Kroger, and so every once in a while I'd have a night off, and I rarely slept. I usually studied, and that all changed. How many of you remember the game uh, Donkey Kong? <laughs> I remember when the game came out. It was originally released, uh, and so I'm dating myself a little bit. This is this is before Xbox and Nintendo. Uh, there was Atari, but it was very, very basic. You had Pong and Tank and Asteroids, that kind of thing. Donkey Kong ushered in a new generation of gaming. It was gaming on a whole nother level. You know, it, it was complex. Uh, it was m- more like what we uh, know as gaming today. There was only one Donkey Kong arcade machine. Now, this is Lincoln, Illinois. It's a small town, and it was at Casey's. And uh, there were two colleges in town. And so when I had a night off of work, we would go there because during the day there were these big lines to play the game. You'd go to Casey's, hang out, you know, buy chips and Cokes and all that all day so that you could play the game. And you might be 10 people back, so you might be there an hour before you could play. But at midnight, place cleared out. My, my good, good friend Dan, we would head there. Uh, we'd get there about midnight. And on several occasions, we spent the entire night there. Now, we would leave, go straight to class, and I know what you're thinking. You're going, really? Future pastors of America playing games all night. You know, that is pastors gone wild, by the way. So, Dan loved the game. In fact, he was obsessed with it, and he was really, really good at it. He, uh, you when they posted the high scores, he had all the high scores that were, that were on the game. And if you remember the game, there are three main characters in the game. There, there was, of course, Donkey Kong. And then there was the damsel in distress. And uh, she later became known as Paul, Pauline, but we called her Lady. And then there was Mr. Jump, who later became known as Mario. And for trivia buffs out there, that was the first appearance of Mario ever, and so aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) The object of the game was to save Lady from Donkey Kong, and it was a climbing game. You were climbing ladders and getting to different platforms, and as you're climbing, Donkey Kong is hurling these barrels at you, and so you either had to jump the barrel or you had to get the hammer and smash the barrels before they got you. You had to complete four screens or four stages, and then you would level up. And with each level, it got more and more difficult. Uh, Donkey Kong's throwing more barrels at you. They're coming at you a little bit faster. The highest level I ever got to was like 11 or 12, I think. But Dan, he played a lot. And he would get in the 20s on a regular basis. And he would just keep climbing level after level. And he's facing the challenges and he's navigating. It's getting a little more complex. And you had to handle the speed a little bit different. And he'd take risks and stuff. And he was getting close to what we knew was the completion of the game. And he finally reached level 22. And he got killed immediately. I mean, right out of the gate. He didn't know it at the time, but there was a coding error. Nobody got past level 22. It was known by gamers as the kill screen. He had indeed reached the highest level. 
Now, you can level up. Uh, some of you that play video games, you know you can level up. Like uh, Pokemon Go, there's 40 levels in Pokemon Go. You can level up in, uh, like, card membership, you know, like Marriott or, or Starbucks, you know. Green, silver, gold, and by the way, gold level here, you know. Surprise. I've got an app. I can prove it if you want to check afterwards. But with each level... There are perks, there are benefits, there are rewards that that come with it. And leveling up in a video game or with a membership card, I guess that's fine and good. But leveling up in life, that's sweet. Leveling up in life, I will say, is imperative. And so we're starting this series, Level Up, And this is about leveling up in our lives, leveling up in our spiritual lives. And uh, the song we just listened to, uh, Miley Cyrus or Hannah Montana, and uh, it says, it's the climb. Keep on moving. Keep on climbing. Keep the faith. It's about the climb. And that's what we're going to talk about, the climb in in our spiritual lives and in our, our regular lives. You know, today I want to talk about a thing called maturity. And I want to look at living on a whole nother level in our lives. You know, without a doubt, one of of the top problems in our world today is a thing called immaturity. And I've seen it through the years in individuals. I've seen it with couples. I've seen it in marriages and in relationships. I've seen immaturity in finances and vocationally and educationally and spiritually. And people struggle in life because of that. And many times the the problem is really they just got to quit acting so immature. You know, people get into all kinds of problems in their life saying immature things making immature decisions, doing immature things. And I just want to scream sometimes and say, grow up. We need to grow up. And our God wants us to grow up, wants us to level up in our lives, wants us to level up in our faith. The Hebrew writer says this, so let's press on to maturity by moving on from the basics about Christ's word. That's part of Faith Fellowship's mission. You know, our mission's leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's a twofold mission. One, we're to reach people for Jesus Christ. But we are to grow and we are to mature as we do that. In fact, that's how we do that, is by growing and maturing. It's one of our core values in the church that Christ followers, we are called, we're called by God to be faithful and to grow in every single area of our life. And I believe this church is committed to helping people grow, helping people grow spiritually and emotionally and mentally and relationally and vocationally so that we can level up in our lives. I mean, what, what's maturity? I want to be clear what maturity is not. Some of you may have been a Christian for 40 or 50 years, but you can still be immature. Maturity is not a matter of time spent. Maturity has nothing to do with age. 
you may be 60 years old and still be immature. You know, having a young heart is very, very desirable. But being immature, it's hard to watch. Ideally, what happens is as we get older, we also mature, but that is not always the case, is it? Maturity has nothing to do with appearance. Some of you look mature. Some people look more dignified. Some people look more spiritual, but they may not be spiritual at all. Some people dress the part. Some people carry big Bibles, maybe have Christian jewelry, maybe appear very, very mature. But they're immature. I've found many times what you see on the outside is very, very different from what you find inside someone. Maturity has nothing to do with achievement or accomplishment. You may serve in a ministry team here. You may teach in the zone. You may lead a a small group. You may read through the entire Bible every single year. You may have a degree in ministry and still be immature. You, You can accomplish a lot. You could have awards and trophies. You could make millions and still be immature. Maturity has nothing to do with knowledge, academics, degrees, or or studies that you've completed. You know, when I graduated from high school, I thought I knew it all. Then when I graduated from college, I realized I didn't know as much as I thought When I graduated from seminary, got my master's, and then later got my doctorate, I realized I didn't know anything. (laughs) I mean, I realized I really had more questions than answers. You know, you you could have so many degrees, they call you Mr. Fahrenheit. My point is, a little slow there, but okay. (laughs) Knowledge does not make us mature. I have known too many Christians through the years that never seem to mature. They've been a Christ follower for 20 or 30 years. Nothing, nothing. They, they, They started at this level, and they're still at this level. And when you look at the race that they're running, you go, it's not a surprise. Because they're not taking steps to grow. They're not doing anything to help them mature. They've never taken the steps that would have allowed for them to grow. And what's even more complexing to me or perplexing to me is people that go through study after study, they read book after book after book, and nothing, nothing happens. It's almost like they've adopted the Peter Pan motto. I don't want to grow up. And so they don't. They just stagnate. And what we're going to do the next few weeks is I'm going to challenge you. Challenge you to grow. Challenge you to mature. And challenge you to level it up. If we're going to level things up, if we're going to take things to a whole nother level, we, we have to first kind of adjust our attitudes. You know, our attitude in life will determine our altitude in life. 
And at the core of maturity is a thing called character. See, your reputation, whatever reputation you have, it's what people say about you. But your character is what God says about you. And how do you measure spiritual maturity? Well, you don't measure it by comparing yourself to other people. You measure your maturity by comparing yourself to the Word of God. You know, the book of James, it's a manual on maturity. And we're going to kind of blast through that. And today, just know we're going to cover a lot of stuff, and then we're going to come back to it. So don't get overloaded by what we're just going to cover a lot of territory, kind of take a look at the book as a whole. But in this series, we're going to find out how to level up, how to level up in very different areas of our lives. The, the word mature in the Greek, it's teleos. It means to be mature, complete, perfect, actually. James uses this word five times in five chapters. He talks about it over and over and over, and he kind of gives us marks of maturity for for our lives. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature. There it is, mature and complete, not lacking anything not lacking anything. If you're going to mature, if you're going to grow, you've got to climb. You've got to reach new levels in your life, so to speak. And I want to be very, very clear that what we're looking at today, these different areas, they're all equally important. You know, I could have put them in any order. But when they are achieved and you combine them together, the result is you begin to live on another level in your life. And to help us remember it, I thought we'd use the word Mario. <laughs> it's kind of the acrostic. So. The first, a mature person manages the problems or the pressures of life in a positive way. In other words, how do you respond when you're being attacked or facing a problem? How do you react when the barrels of problems start coming your way, so to speak? It is a test in your life. And it is a mark of where your maturity is. In other words, how do you react in those moments? I mean, do you jump up and down? You know, throw fit? Do you get real negative in your life? Do you, do you simply gripe and complain? Do you grumble a lot? Do you crumble? Christianity, you've heard me say this, Christianity is not religion. It's about life. And we talked about this a lot in our last series. But Jesus said, I have come in order that you might have life, life in all of its fullness. Jesus came to give you and me, life. And life, he wants it to be full, but friends, life includes problems. Solving problems, managing problems, facing problems with the right attitude. You know, James says this, James 12, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, 
that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You can have great knowledge of the Bible. You can have it all up here and still live life like a coward. Chicken little as if the the sky is going to fall. You know, panicked. Maturity means managing our problems and our pressures from a positive perspective. You know, when things go south, when the barrels knock you down, you remain positive in that. You know, you're not joyed. Oh boy, I'm glad I'm going through this. But you have a positive attitude. And how's that possible? Was well, possible because of the power of God. That God can help us get through. That God can give us the strength to, to face what we need to face. A mature person also, here's A, assists other people, cares about other people, pays attention to other people. You know, James says, you do well when you finally fulfill the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. We live in a meistic society, don't we? You know, I want this. I want that. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. Me, 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 me. You know, my schedule, my agenda, my stuff, my life. It's all about me. A mark of maturity is when we become other-centered instead of self-centered. When we start caring about other people's hurts and struggles and what's going on in their life. You know, James, he's going to spend the first... 14 verses of chapter 2 basically addressing this issue of self-centeredness. I mean, James says, don't show favoritism to other people. You know, don't be a snob. You know, don't look down on people. Don't, don't judge people by their appearance. Don't insult people. Don't exploit people. See, that, that mark of maturity is when we begin to see other people and love them and assist them and care for them like we would ourselves. You know, it's about love there. And James closes that kind of section after he kind of says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And he says this, he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Ouch. Ouch. You know, Jesus told a story one time. He was talking about the judgment. He says that the king invited the faithful in and invited them to enter into heaven and to receive their inheritance. And he says, you're, you're coming in because I was hungry and you fed me. And I was thirsty and, and you gave me something to drink. And I, I, I needed clothes, and I was sick, and I was a stranger, and I was in prison. And, and you took care of me each and every time. And the faithful that are entering into heaven, they're kind of perplexed. They're like, well, when did we do that? We don't, I don't remember doing that for you, Jesus. And he says this, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Scripture is very, very clear. 
will be judged not by how many verses of Scripture we memorized, not by how many times we were at church, not by how great a reputation we had. Those are all, those are all fine and good. But we will be judged by how we treat other people. What do your actions say about your faith? Mature person R regulates their mouth. All right. Any WWE fans in the house? Come on, anybody willing to admit it? <laughs> I mean, this is wrestling meets entertainment, you know. You watch some of the greats today, the juggernaut uh, Roman Reigns or the, the phenomenal one, AJ Styles, or the doctor of thugmatics, you know, John Cena. And each match, at, at the beginning and at the end, there's lots of trash talking. Lots of trash talking. In fact, sometimes the, the verbal assaults are almost as painful as what happens in, in the ring. Some call that entertainment. It works for the WWE, I guess. But it's a terrible, terrible way to live life. You know, James, he says, indeed, we all make mistakes. In other words... I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. In fact, turn to your neighbor and just tell them they're not perfect. (laughs) Come on, with joy, you're not perfect. (laughs) We're, We're not perfect. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. You want to know your spiritual health? God says, stick out your tongue. Check your maturity there. You know, World War II, they, they had a uh, term. They, they would say, loose lips, what? Sink ships. The tongue can destroy. I saw a definition of gossip the other day. It's, it's hearing something you like about somebody you don't like. <laughs> we get in problems by not just what we think, but many times by what we say. And Scripture tells us that self-control actually starts with the tongue. You know, James, he gives us several illustrations in the third chapter. He says, the tongue's like a rudder. Then he says, the the tongue's like the, the bit that's in a horse's mouth. And he says, the tongue's a spark, and the tongue's a, a snake and a spring. Uh, a small bit in a horse's mouth, it controls the direction the horse goes. A little rudder on, on a boat, it controls the direction that the boat's going to go. The, the tongue, think about it, how small it is. Two ounce slab of mucous membrane. but it controls your life. And it controls the direction that your life goes. And it controls the levels that you climb. The the, the tongue can, can destroy, or it can delight, or it can discourage or encourage people. The, the tongue is a powerful force for good and for evil. 
You know, the Apostle Paul, he, he writes this. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, watch what you say. And when you talk, don't just build yourself up. You need to build other people up. And let me just say this. Just because you can say something doesn't mean you should say something. If it doesn't build up, don't say it, even if it's true. You know, regulate the mouth. It's a mark of maturity in life. James James says it this way. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is what? Whoa, worthless. I may have memorized a thousand scriptures. I may read through the Bible every year. I may not miss church. But friends, if I gossip, if I spread rumors, if I am always inaccurate with what I say, if I speak impulsively, my religion is worthless. Now, I know some of you are going, well, yeah, 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 but what about speaking the truth in love? Well, Paul, Paul says this. He says, indeed, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. It's speaking the truth with the right attitude, with the right timing, with the right place, with the right motive. The the Bible, very, very practical here. It does not matter how much of the Bible you know. It doesn't even matter if you're right. If your attitude, hear this, if your attitude is not like Jesus, then you're messing up, and you're messing up big time. A mature person, I, imparts peace in life. James says this, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you a peacemaker or troublemaker? Do you you like to argue? Do Do you get your feelings hurt often? Do you tend to get defensive Do you hurt other people's feelings? See, conflict is a maturity issue. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he he wrote the books of Corinthians, and he was writing to the Corinthian church. They, They were arguing about everything in the church. They were arguing about communion. They were arguing about spiritual gifts and leadership, all kinds of things that they were fighting about. And Paul says over and over, mark of immaturity here. It's a mark of immaturity. Grow up, become Christ-like. 
Why, why is there so much conflict in this world? Have you noticed that? I mean, you got conflict in marriages, conflict at work. We got political conflict. We got conflict with, with friends. We have conflict with other Christians. We have conflict between me and God sometimes. Why? Well, James, James gives us a couple reasons for, for conflict. He says one is selfishness. Selfishness will cause conflict. He says this. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive. Wrong motive. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I want what I want. I deserve this. And friends, if you have conflict, and if that's your orientation is, I want what I want, it is a pride issue. If, if you want to know if you're immature or not, one of the things you can do, look at your prayer life sometime. Who's the center of your prayer life? Oh, God, bless me. You know, protect me. Help me. Do this for me. God, if you would, and whatever. I mean, do, do you... Do, is that your prayer life? Is that it? Or, or do you praise and thank God? Do you, do you pray for other people? If you're always the center, always the center, I will tell you you're immature. It's okay sometimes. But if you're always the center, something's wrong. You know, Proverbs right, writes this. says, pride causes arguments, but those who listen to others are wise. Pride causes conflict at work, at church, at home, at school. When when no one's listening and when no one's willing to admit they're wrong, when, when we're tuning other people out, when people are self absorbed, I want what I want, what I want, selfishness leads to conflicts in life. And the second reason for conflicts is a thing called judging others. You know, James says this. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. In other words, James is saying, be very, very, very careful here. And then just a little bit later, he says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? If you judge people all the time, if you're always finding fault with other people, if if you're always stirring things up, James says, "Be, be careful here. Be careful. You know why we're not to judge? Well, one, I'm not God. And only God knows all the facts. Only God knows the motive. Only God really is in a position to know what's totally going on and have the insight to make the call. And so again, I'll just ask you, are are you a peacemaker or troublemaker? And a mature person operates with patience with patience in their life. James says this, he says, and we say that those who accept their troubles with patience now have what? God's blessing. 
James uses two words over and over in the, in the fifth chapter here. He uses the word patience. Four different times he says patience, 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 patience. And seven times he says pray, 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 pray. And what I get out of that is that those two words go together. They, they're both expressing an attitude of dependency on God. You know, James says, shares this story as an illustration. He goes, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord come, coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. We're, we're to be patient. James gives us the illustration of a farmer. You know, we got any farmers in the house? My, my grandpa was a farmer. I can tell you, farming requires patience. A, a farmer plants the seed, and they wait. A farmer prays, and they wait. A farmer cleans up the, the weeds and sprays and waits. A, a farmer hopes and waits. And a farmer works through the season and waits and expects and waits. And the crops don't come in overnight, do they? There's long periods of waiting. And waiting really is a balancing act. It's a balancing act between working, praying, and waiting. Working, praying, and waiting. Working, praying, and waiting. Sometimes you mix them up. Sometimes you pray, and then you work really hard, and you got to stay steady, and you got to stay at it, and you got to make good decisions, and you got to do what you can do. There are other times that you pray and you wait. You wait for God to answer. You wait for a miracle. You wait for direction. You wait for God to work it out, to open the door so that you can move forward. Part of faith and maturing in your faith is learning when to work and when to pray and when to wait. You know, part of faith is it's learning when, when you should work and when you should wait. It's, it's just a process. You know, operating with patience, it's a sign of maturity. The only way you learn patience, hear this, is by waiting. You ever pray that prayer, God, help me be patient, be careful, because you're going to do some waiting. You know, when my my kids were were little, they, they didn't understand the difference between no and not yet. How many parents in the house? Any of your kids struggle with this one? <laughs> I mean, my kids, I, I would say no, and they understood. But not yet. They thought I meant no when I said that. They thought I meant that they weren't going to get a do whatever it was. They thought no, or not yet, meant no. I just meant not yet. Now, as they got older... They tried to convince me that no means yes, and that's another message another day. But many times, God says not yet, 
In fact, some of you, God's been saying that to you. Not yet. And I will tell you, that does not mean no. It does not mean God is not going to answer your prayer. What God is saying to you is not yet, you got to wait. I want you to develop. I want you to grow. I want you to mature. You know, James says this, he says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How long do you wait before you give up? When you pray, how long do you wait before you give up? You never give up. With God, all things are possible. Operating with patience is a sign that you're maturing and you're depending on God. And it's interesting because James, in this chapter, he points out some of the great people of faith who waited. He points to to the prophets. He says, they did a lot of waiting, a lot of waiting. You know, Job, Job waited. He did a lot of waiting. Elijah, he did a lot of waiting. And my question is, how patient are you? Pray. Do what you can. And then wait on God. Trust God. Trust God. You know, it's the climb. Keep on moving. Keep on climbing. Keep the faith. It's all about climbing and getting closer and closer to maturity and what God calls us to. Now, just real simple today. You know, maybe as you were listening, there was one of these areas that you kind of felt God prompting you, the Holy Spirit prompting you. And you thought, I need, I need to grow in that area. Maybe all the areas you're going, yeah, I really need to work on that. Here's all I want to do today. Is if you felt any kind of a nudge where you go, I know I need to grow there. I just want you to stand up where you're at. I'm going to pray for us as a whole. I'm not going to do anything weird. I just want to pray for us. And by standing, what you're saying is, I want to grow. I want to mature, God. And it's a, it's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. And just stand up where you're at if, if that's you. And it's okay if you, you don't feel like you have to stand up. I will tell you this. As we plow through this series and we start addressing these different areas, if we make a commitment to mature, to grow, to say, okay, God, I know I need to, need to go to the next level here. You'll start living life on a whole nother level, whole nother level. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, You see those that are standing. God, we're saying, grow us. 
mature us. God, and I don't know if there was a particular area or whether it was all of it or if it's just we know we need to grow. But God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just whisper and work through us in the weeks ahead that we truly would just say, I want to take it to another level, God. God, you are holy and you are amazing. And God, forgive us those times we just kind of drift, kind of float through life. But God, I pray that we would climb, that we would do whatever we got to do to push it up a notch. God, may we open our hearts, our ears, and our lives to your ways. And God, we give you the praise and the glory this day and every day. And God's people said, Let's continue worship.